And when they put you in that cell, when those bars slam home, that's when you know it's for real. Old life blown away in the blink of an eye. Nothing left but all the time in the world to think about it. Hey, cassettes, and welcome back to the Black Case Diaries. <laughs> woo, woo, woo. Hey. hey. We're three old friends learning everything we can about movies and TV and hopefully teaching you in the process. I'm Robin. I'm Marcy. And I'm Adam. In honor of National Novel Writing Month, we spent last week talking about the 2003 classic family film, Holes. This week, we're continuing our theme with one of the most beloved films of all time. Yes. It's also a prison-related movie. It is. Oh. Yeah, did you catch on to that? <laughs> Not until just now. We I'm didn't like, mean to do that. <laughs> oh, well. Welcome to Prison November. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's what no. it starts to feel like. No, I'm just oh. <laughs> oh, man. There's no doubt that Stephen King is a master of horror. In fact... When you suggest one of his books to someone who isn't a horror fan, they might give you a funny look. <laughs> but the truth is, King has contributed to several genres. Then it's quite possible that his source material is responsible for one of your favorite films as well. For example, popular movies like Stand By Me and The Green Mile were both based on his work. However, of all the films adapted from King's writing, one of the most lauded is The Shawshank Redemption. Yes. That's right. This is a movie. (laughs) (laughs) The end. (laughs) That concludes our podcast. I'm sorry, wait. This is a good movie. There (laughs) we go. There you go. That's all we need to say. (laughs) When I was messaging these two earlier about this movie, since I believe all of us watched it very recently to get a refresher, right? I messaged and said, it's no wonder that this movie always comes up when people talk about the best movies of all time. Yeah. Having just watched it, I get it all. This is an incredible movie. Mm -hmm. I watched it for the first time when I was about 12 years old. And I saw it around the same time I saw Stand By Me, which I also love very much. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it it is one of those movies that stays with you forever. I didn't have to rewatch it for several years. And I Mm -hmm. remembered every Mm -hmm. part of this movie. (laughs) It really sticks with you for sure. And it's my cousin's favorite movie. Yeah. Yeah. My cousin Lance. Yeah. So this is for you, Lance. Yeah. So. We love you, Lance. (laughs) Based on the novella by King, this 1994 film was a slow-burning success. Although it didn't catch the attention of audiences immediately, it soon made up for it with several Oscar nominations. Today, it's achieved cult classic status and currently holds the number one rated film on IMDb. Oh, It is number one. Good. Yeah. And it's been up there for a long time. Wow. So come join us as we learn all about this low-budget box office flop and how it crawled its way to cinematic glory. <laughs> it's <laughs> insane to think about that. Yeah. yeah. The fact that this movie was a flop. It was. It, it was a pretty epic flop. Mm-hmm. It barely made back its budget, mm-hmm. and its budget wasn't very high. Uh, low might not be the best word to use, but it's, it wasn't a high-budget mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I don't know how many people out there listening can say they haven't seen this movie because it's probably not very many. Mm-hmm. Similarly to Holes last week, mm-hmm. it was it's one of those movies that I think a lot of people have seen. Yeah. But, you know, there it, might be a few of If you, you haven't seen it, don't feel bad. Yeah. We might spoil a couple of things for you, so. Yeah, yeah. Just letting you know. Yeah, but don't feel bad. I mean... It's hard to watch every movie out there. Exactly. There's a lot of classics I haven't seen. Exactly. But it's just one of those movies, like we said, it is among the top tier movies of all time that people talk about. So here's a synopsis. Anyway, after being wrongly convicted for murdering his wife and her lover, Andy Dufresne is sentenced to two life sentences back to back at Shawshank Prison. Andy makes friends with Red, another prisoner, and the man with connections to the outside. For nearly two decades, they navigate the violent and psychological horrors of Shawshank together, while holding on to the hope that one day they will be free men again. Yeah. And a synopsis like that, it just, it sounds like a long sad movie but it is not that at all Mm -mm. you know it's it's really dynamic it's really interesting the passage of time is really well done you know when you're watching it you don't realize that 
it lasts two and a half hours. Right, despite it sounding very uneventful. Yeah, yeah. and it, mundane. Right. The synopsis is this guy goes to prison, he makes a friend at the prison, mm-hmm. and they wait. But there's, <laughs> yeah. but there's so much more. The Shawshank Redemption is based on a Stephen King novella called Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, published in a collection of stories in 1982. The collection is called Different Seasons and has three other stories, including The Body, which was made into another fan-favorite film, Stand By Me. So good. Only eight years earlier had King launched his writing career with his breakout horror novel Carrie. Since then, he had penned classics like The Shining and The Stand, but Different Seasons focused more on dramatic stories and strayed from the horror fiction that fans expected. He was kind of trying to break out of it. Yeah. He was already being pigeonholed into horror, (laughs) and he was like, guys, I can write other stuff too. I promise. Yeah, yeah. But everyone knows him as the spooky, scary man. Yeah. Spooky, scary, scary with a K. Steve and King. <laughs> <laughs> In 1983, Frank Darabont made his first Stephen King adaptation. At the time, he was in his early 20s. Buying the rights to an author's story can vary in price, but Stephen King has a program that has given many young filmmakers a unique opportunity. It's called the Dollar Baby Program and he offers certain titles to be bought for the low price of $1. The short film that Darabont created was The Woman in the Room in 1984, which we will include a link to in the blog. King still has this program open to young filmmakers looking to adapt works. We will include the link of selected works that you can request for contract if, you, if you're interested. Yeah, if yeah. you got a couple mil to spare. Yeah, maybe yeah. you're a young filmmaker and you want to buy the rights for a dollar and pretty dang good deal especially since you already know could be the he's next a good Shawshank. Writer. Yeah. yeah could be yeah. the next Shawshank. Yeah. frank darabont felt he needed a little more experience under his belt before he approached stephen king for the story that he truly had his eyes on after 1987 and his first screenplay credit under a nightmare on elm street 3 he felt he was ready to request rita hayworth and the Shawshank redemption he signed a check to the amount of five thousand dollars to stephen king but Frank Darabont, he's a writer. He's been writing screenplays. He really wants to make this, this movie based yeah. on this story. He's had this idea. He's read the story. He likes it. He wants to make it a movie. And it, he kind of waited till he had enough experience. He thought, okay, now Stephen King might let me. Yeah. <laughs> now he might let me make this movie. Yeah. It's, it's funny that it's A Nightmare on Elm Street 3. <laughs> <laughs> My magnum opus <laughs> is complete. Now I shall approach Stephen King. <laughs> I know. And it's funny, too, because he's approaching him for a story that's not horror, you know? But right, obviously, yeah, right. obviously, he's writing some horror stuff. The story of Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption was written from the perspective of a prisoner serving a life sentence. Much of the text was stream of consciousness, and King himself was unsure how the story could be made into a movie. But since he enjoyed Darabont's take on The Woman in the Room, he gave his blessing. Though Darabont got the rights, it took him five years before he sat down to begin the screenplay. Once he did, it took a mere eight weeks. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Pretty quick. (laughs) That is not long. Yeah. He wanted to keep the spirit and core of the source material lifting lines directly from the story. Because the character Red's voice is present throughout the story, Darabont decided that his character would also narrate the film. Perfect choice. (laughs) I was going to say, I think that's a great move. Not yeah. not mm-hmm. only because of who they got to do it. Oh yeah. But but I love that it's got this weird perspective mm-hmm. of another character when really the story is about Andy. Yeah. But it's through somebody else's eyes, and that's super cool. It it's really cool that he did it this way. It makes the most sense. So that mm-hmm. way he can lift as much as he can mm-hmm. out of the source material. Yes. <laughs> He doesn't, you know, he changed a lot, mm-hmm. but at least he could take a lot of this beautiful, some of this beautiful writing. That... Oh, yeah. After directing the 1986 film Stand By Me, Rob Reiner co-founded Castle Rock Entertainment, named for the fictional town in which Stand By Me takes place. After Darabont completed the script of The Shawshank Redemption, it ended up in the hands of Liz Glotzer, who became so enthralled with the story that she didn't even want to finish the script before seeing the movie. Glotzer fought hard for Shawshank, even threatening to quit if the company didn't produce the film. Yikes. <laughs> Some serious passion there. Yeah. Yeah, if you like the Shawshank Redemption, if it's one of your favorite movies, 
you should thank Liz Glotzer. Yeah. It's probably a name that, I mean, a lot of people don't know. She is the reason this movie exists. She really is. Nice work. Yeah. yeah. You'll probably hear her name a couple more times. Yes. <laughs> when Rob Reiner heard about the project, he reportedly offered Darabont a, quote, shitload of money <laughs> to direct the film. And Castle Rock would finance any other film Darabont would want to direct. But Darabont stuck to his guns. If he hadn't, this would have been a very different movie. So Rob Reiner said, wow, this is a great script. Mm-hmm. Can I please direct this movie? And <laughs> Darabont being kind of, you know, poor guy, you know, grew yeah. up poor. He was like, um, no. <laughs> He's, you know, young guy. He's only in his 30s. He's like, ah, yeah. you really want to make this movie? And Rob Reiner's like, I'll give you a lot of money and whatever movie you want to make next, we will we will green light it. We will produce it. Yeah. Oh God. He was like, yeah, what? A- ah! could, could you imagine passing that up? That's what a lot. A deal. <laughs> yeah, and he he passed it up. Yeah. If he hadn't, this would have been yeah. a different movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even after he had passed that up, he was still scared because he was like, this company could still, even after having him start to direct it, be like, eh, you know what? We don't want you. Bam, ca- cast you aside. You can still bring get fired. Rob Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right on. So it was good on them to not to fire not him. Not fire him? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I imagine he was kind of scared. <laughs> Reiner later joked to Liz Glotzer that different seasons is on my desk for years. You would have thought we'd have read the next story, but we didn't. <laughs> Whoops. So yeah, yeah, they made they made Stand by Me based on the body, which is another story in different seasons. And that movie did so well yeah. that they started a whole production company after making that movie. <laughs> and they never thought, let's read some of these other stories make yeah. them into in the movies. book. Yeah, thank God, I guess, you know, yeah. the way the movie turned out. But yeah. Darabont added his own flair to the story, creating storylines that drove the message home and adding some violence. Yeah, he made it a little more violent. Probably yeah. adds a little action to the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the book, the two main characters, Andy and Red, look very different. Andy is described as short, with small clever hands and gold-rimmed glasses. Red is a white Irish man, which they actually joke about in the movie. They do make a joke about this. Oh, yeah. (laughs) When they wrote the script, they didn't know who would play this character. Thank you, Mr. uh... Red. Name's Red. Red. Why do they call you that? Maybe it's because I'm Irish. It just makes the joke land way harder. Yeah. <laughs> it really does. Brooks is a major character within the movie and a key emotional storyline. Within the book, however, he dies uneventfully in a home for the elderly. Tommy, who has information that could free Andy, was dealt with in a different way in the book versus the movie. In the movie, he is shot to death but in the book, he trades his silence on the matter to be switched to a lower security prison. So these are two. Interesting. Yeah, these yeah. are two huge changes that I think really added to the movie. First of all, Brooks is such an emotional part of this movie. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the parts that people really remember, and it's so heartbreaking to watch him go through all of the things that he goes through. Mm-hmm. Then there's Tommy. He seems so innocent, so young, yeah. and, you know, he just gets caught in the crossfire of things. Mm-hmm. Right. And it shows you how evil the warden is yes. mm-hmm. in this prison. And it's like, it's like the last thing that really drives it home. Yeah, because right. up to that point, you're kind of like, okay, I don't like the warden, don't like the warden. He's yeah. not a great guy. Yeah. And then I feel like this scene hits, mm-hmm. and it's just like, Oh right. My gosh. But but even at the same time, it's like the warden's not the worst character that has been around yet. Like there are so many bad things that mm-hmm. happen. It's like well, the warden's kind of in the background for a lot of it. Right. You I know. mean, this shows you that he really is the worst. Like he's but, pulling but all the strings. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like up until that point, you may not really realize it. I mean, obviously, yeah. obviously there are terrible things and he's calling mm-hmm. all the shots and that's mm-hmm. why that's why those other horrible people are doing their horrible things. Mm-hmm. 
But yes, this is when you realize, oh, no, it's this guy. He comes into the forefront mm-hmm. of your mind. Mm-hmm. Darabont also condenses the part of three wardens into that of the one Warden Norton. Making one big baddie. Yeah. The ending of the movie is different because Liz Glotzer, hey, hey. Yeah. She fought for us to be able to see the two friends reunite in Mexico. Darabont had wanted the film to end as the book does, with Red on his way to Andy, but with no payoff. You know, that's a much... I understand why the novella ends that way. Mm-hmm. Because that is a great way to end a novella. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have an action happening as the mm-hmm. story closes, you it leaves you wanting more, but also mm-hmm. just, it's it's enough information. You yes. know that they got out. You know yes. that he's on his way. You don't mm-hmm. need that final scene. In the movie, though, it's nice. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's why Glotzer was adamant that if the intention was for the two to get together, then the audience should have the satisfaction of seeing it. Yeah. After watching two hours of pain and suffering, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's yeah. okay to let people <laughs> see something happen and at the end of the movie. Even when it's far away. I mean, the yeah. camera's so far away when they go and hug and you're just like, oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah. It's, it's not a played out scene. Mm-mm. You know, it's, it's just, you get just enough info. That's the end, you know? Yep. Mm-hmm. You don't... Yeah, any conversation they had would have been too much. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. if you were still there and they're like, oh, hey, I, I can't believe it's you. That kind of... It's like, yeah. Eh, it's... Yes. Yeah, we didn't need, need We didn't need it. We just... All we needed was to, the confirmation that it worked out. So now let's talk about the making of this movie. Director Frank Darabont and the rest of the cast and crew started filming The Shawshank Redemption in the summer of 1993. The film had a budget of $25 million, which isn't very high. In comparison, the Flintstones, which came out in 1994, had a budget of $46 million. Good grief. Flintstones. <laughs> had that much more. Yep, with John Goodman and Rosie O'Donnell and all that's, that star That's why. Cast. Oh, that's why. Yeah, that $21 million <laughs> went straight to Rosie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> While Darabont and production designer Terrence Marsh were location scouting for the film, they found the Ohio State Reformatory, a prison on the brink of demolition in Mansfield, Ohio. The buildings of the reformatory had been abandoned for several years, with piles of paint chips in almost every room. Ohio. Woo! Where we live. This movie was filmed here. Not here. Not like where we live. No, 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 no. no. Not central Ohio, Mm -mm. where we're from. Yes. It was filmed in northern Ohio, mm-hmm. which I believe I passed this on my way to my grandparents. I passed the all big the billboard that nice. says that says the Shawshank Experience. Yeah, yeah. it's got like smiling yeah. people in front of a huge foreboding prison. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. like man, this yeah. really is Ohio for you. You know, <laughs> this is this we, is so Ohio. We celebrate pain. Yeah. <laughs> This is the most. This is the most Ohio. Besides the hell is real sign. Oh like, yeah, that mm-hmm. is so Ohio. Yep. The production was set up in Mansfield, and the crew would use other Ohio locations for the rest of the film. Many of the guards used in the movie were actually residents of Mansfield that were guards at the prison when it was in operation. Yeah. Very nice. A lot, cool. of, a lot of the extras in this movie were on-location extras, people that they met when they <laughs> scouted out things, mm-hmm. and they were like, you're a pretty good actor. You just, how about you just hop in on the movie? Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. The opening scene of the movie shows us two scenes at once. We see our main character, Andy Dufresne, sitting in his car while his wife has an affair inside. This was shot at Malabar Farms in Ohio. The other scene takes place in a courtroom in Upper Sandusky. Yeah. When they went in to film in the courtroom, they were like, come on in, <laughs> hang out. How many days you need? Mm-hmm. They were just oh, so wow. they were so happy that somebody <laughs> was making a film. In their tiny little town, Aww. in their in their little wine dot courthouse, they're like, "Here we are, come on in, please show it off." Yes, no idea what mo- like what yeah. movie it was, yeah. what it was gonna be. No, they were like, "Yes, come." Amazing. They also, yeah, they also used an industrial laundry in Upper Sandusky too. Oh, cool, nice. According to Darabont, the two scenes were written separately but had to be cut together because they could only shoot at the farms for one night. 
That's an interesting point, actually. I noticed, because I watched the trailer mm-hmm. before watching the movie. Oh, yeah. And there are some different clips mm-hmm. that, you know, they filmed the entire court scene. Yes. Uh-huh. With, you know, with everything, but then they would cut in shots of him in the car with the same dialogue. It was like, wait, that was in the trailer, so that what? It, mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. just different. Yeah. Really interesting. The scene works very well cut together as we see Andy pull out his gun. Cut together with a prosecutor laying out the crime that had been committed. This is a very succinct way to tell this story. Yeah. And it works really well. What happened was that they could only be there for one night. They (laughs) only got a few shots and they needed a lot more. And they were like, well, we can't have these two separate scenes. So we have to cut this together like Mm -hmm. it's one. And cutting it together like this made Andy, the, the case against Andy, pretty strong yes oh yeah it, it it makes it look like he cut he did it yeah you know yeah. he's sitting in the car he's holding the gun yeah you know they don't really show him drive off like they yes. don't show what he they does don't show after what that happened and you know the rest of it it, it is relied on his acting mm-hmm. and focusing on his face when he is given the sentence mm-hmm. and that is the stuff that makes you think oh he didn't do it Mm-hmm. You know, it's those mm-hmm. reactions and just that feeling. Yeah. You know, and because everything else, evidence wise, who right. is yeah. looking pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even Red was like, if I was in that courtroom, I would have declared him guilty. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, this is pretty bad. That's pretty, it's looking, looking pretty, pretty damning. Awful. Yeah. I really like that line where he's like, with, oh, they, they combed that river for days and they didn't find the gun. That's pretty convenient. And Andy's like, well, I find that very inconvenient. <laughs> because it would have like proven him yeah, innocent. Yeah, proven that he or, didn't do it. Or it would have at least been some evidence for him. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, yeah. When Shawshank is first introduced in the film, we see a beautiful aerial shot of the building and 500 extras in the yard. Production designer Marsh also had the idea for that shot as well. This shot was pretty tricky to get. It had been raining off and on all day, and because of budget issues, production had to let go of most of their extras by the end of the day. Yeah, we were talking about a low budget. Yeah. Or a low-ish budget. Mm-hmm. And this is the kind of stuff you deal yeah. with, you know? You can't have people sitting around all day paying them for yeah. a full day when you can't pay them for a full day. <laughs> This meant they only had a small window of time to get it right, coordinating the extras as the helicopter pilot glided over the prison yard. So it's raining off and on. They need to get this establishing shot because this is this is the money shot. Mm-hmm. This is when we see the prison really for the first time and we see how foreboding and dark and ominous it is. Yeah. And as you're going over and you see the extras in the yard kind of running doing their rec time, and you have only a couple tries. You know, oh, stop raining. Run to the helicopter. We have to do it before lunch is over because then the extras are going home and they're not coming back. (laughs) Marsh also had a difficult task of taking the interior of the prison and making it look like it was still in operation. Locations like the offices, the mess hall, and the courtyard were all at the reformatory. But the cell block itself was an elaborate hand-built set. Oh, wow. Yeah. Talk about, mentioned earlier, the paint chips, the piles of mm-hmm. paint chips. So have you guys ever been in an abandoned building? Like a building that doesn't... I've seen enough. I yeah. can't say that yeah. I've been in one, but... Mm-hmm. So when we were in high school, we had this convent that was abandoned. Right. Essentially abandoned at the end of the school. It was only used to for storage and to hold the costumes for the drama department. Mm-hmm. And I was in costume, so I went up in the convent all the time. There were several rooms in the convent that were completely abandoned. Mm-hmm. And this, he said, Darabont said, it was like an explosion in a confetti factory. Mm-hmm. And that is what it is like. The yeah. paint chips, and it falls into these piles. It peels off of the wall and strips. Yeah. And it's dusty and there's just like there will be like a dead bird or you know yep. mouth and it's very very creepy it is <laughs> you it just feels wrong yeah you know it's this space that was once used so much and 
in the convent, it's kind of like a happy space. You know, I'm sure they had a good time. Right. But, mm-hmm. you know, feeling that in a prison, it's yeah. much worse. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's so much more ominous, <laughs> much worse things happen there. Mm-hmm. Right. I, now I imagine places like the ridges that OU would yeah. feel the same way. It's like yes. just the context of mm-hmm. what building it is and what ha- happened there makes mm-hmm. it like yeah worse Ugh. and it's just like wow somebody have a broom like <laughs> i just want to clean this up <laughs> on the upper level of the cell blocks it got to be almost 100 degrees during an ohio summer especially with all the production lights one thing i really appreciated about the audio <laughs> commentary was frank darabont constantly talking about how unpleasant an ohio summer is yeah. This is what he learned yeah. while filming this movie. He gets it now. <laughs> he gets our pain. <laughs> it's unpleasant. That's that's what we'll say. Yeah. Production had to build their own sets because the actual cells were only six feet by nine feet, making them impossible to light. They were also meant for two men to share, creating a virtually unlivable situation. So, oh my god! To put it into perspective, the cell that you see Andy in in the movie. It is considerably bigger mm-hmm. than the cells that they actually had in the reformatory that they were filming in. Yeah. And those cells were for two people. Andy has yes. his cell to himself. Yeah. I mean, even just thinking about that six foot by nine foot. Yeah. Two people. Yeah. Tim Robbins, who plays Andy, is like six foot two. Andy Dufresne's cell is covered in magazines and newspaper clippings that had been brought in by the production designers and hand-selected by Tim Robbins to make the set feel more like his space. Yeah, which I think is cool. That is really cool. It's like, what what things do you think your character would grab Mm -hmm. to hang up on the wall? Yeah, would relate to. Yeah. When it came time to cast the film, it became quite clear that the movie could not be called Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. The original title seemed to be confusing, leading people to believe that the film was a biopic. Agents were calling Darabont and his team, saying that their clients would be perfect to play Rita Hayworth. Whoops. That's hilarious. <laughs> there were a lot of opinions about the title of this movie. And, yes. you know, like Morgan Freeman has talked about this in interviews. He thinks that if they kept the same name, kept the name Rita Hayworth, and the movie would have done well. Yes. You know, but it would have been confusing, obviously. Yeah. People were confused. Right. But a lot of people would have gone to see it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to help work Rita Hayworth into the story, there's a scene where the prisoners are watching one of her movies in the reformatory theater. In the original story, they are watching a different movie that would have been too expensive for the studio to use. So, Darabont found one of Rita Hayworth's films on a list of movies that Castle Rock already had the rights to, and they were able to use that instead. Oh, perfect. Nice. He, he was, <laughs> Easy. Yes. He was talking about it, and he said, so I have this movie uh, <laughs> that had Rita Hayworth in the title, mm-hmm. and it was vir- had virtually nothing to do with Rita Hayworth <laughs> at all. Mm-hmm. So, we had to put a Rita Hayworth clip in the movie somewhere. Yes. Right. To at least tie it into the story. Mm-hmm. And it works really well because oh, absolutely. when they're watching that movie, that's when that's when Andy turns to Red and says, I want Rita Hayworth. Can you get me Rita Hayworth? Yep. Mm-hmm. The cast is one of the many reasons why this film works so well. The two main actors don't match the descriptions of their book counterparts, but they still fit their roles perfectly. Mm-hmm. Like gloves. Yeah. Yeah. When Rob Reiner tried to direct the film, he actually had Tom Cruise in mind to play Andy Dufresne. Mm. And I read that they still asked him, but because it was Darabont's first time directing, Tom Cruise said no. Wow. According to Morgan Freeman, he was the one that suggested Tim Robbins for the role. Despite (laughs) the fact that Tom Hanks and Kevin Costner were both offered the role of Andy Dufresne, it went to Tim Robbins. Yay. Robbins delivered a stoic performance that perfectly captured the soul of an innocent man who has landed in an impossible situation. Robbins went on to win an Oscar 10 years later for Mystic River. Mm, yay. Very nice. Yeah. When Tim Robbins was asked why he thought the film has continued to resonate with audiences, he said, One is that there are very, very few films that are about the relationship, the friendship between two men that doesn't involve car chases or being charming with the ladies and those kinds of buddy movies. This one is about a true, deep friendship that lasts. 
And part of me thinks that people want or need that kind of story to be told. Yeah. I agree. It's something incredibly unique Yeah. among a lot of movies like this because in the same way that there's the Bechdel test mm-hmm. for women in movies, you could theoretically come up with something similar about men in movies where if they're mm-hmm. two friends, they're probably in some wacky situation or they're, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. buddies getting into weird situations all over town or, you know, the various things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this one has none of that. This is just a, like a true friendship where they're both dealing with something quite difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's such a very sweet friendship. You know, is that line where he says, I think I, I just miss my friend. They do a really good job of having a friendship in this movie that just seems so real mm-hmm. and so pure, and it's just something that everybody strives for. Morgan Freeman embodied the character of Alice Boyd Red Redding so well, it's impossible to imagine the character being played by anyone else. Because the book counterpart is a white Irishman, Freeman wasn't even initially considered for the role. Mm. After looking at several names like Harrison Ford and Gene Hackman, Liz Glotzer, there she is again, woo! Liz Glotzer stepped in once again with a movie-saving suggestion. She advocated for throwing out the look of the character in the book and going with Morgan Freeman, an actor that Darabont did like for the part. What a save. There you go. Serious. <laughs> oh yeah, my gosh. They're sitting there. It's like they're just trying to, they're trying to fill, fulfill this arbitrary, <laughs> you know, yeah, this, limit. And they're saying, yeah. oh, we can't, oh, you know. And finally she steps in like, guys, I have an idea. Yeah. Here's somebody who is really good for the part. <laughs> who cares? He doesn't look like the person. <laughs> exactly. And right. they were like, oh. Maybe that's a a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great idea. I I guess we don't have to stick to the book 100%. No. It's like we already changed stuff. (laughs) Right. Why not change this? Yes. (laughs) I don't think you have to worry about a huge fan following back in 1994 of Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption (laughs) doing a a fan uprising because you changed the look of a character. Mm. Freeman was shocked when he was offered the part of Red, the character that sets the tone for the entire film with his voice. He was really surprised. Yeah. And then you said so the, cute. it was yeah. an interview where they said, you were? You were actually surprised? And he's like, I'm surprised every time they want me to do a big role. <laughs> <laughs> Surely he can't be that surprised now. You'd think like after so many roles, especially yeah. one like this, they're like, okay, maybe I am pretty good. Yeah. I wonder what it's like to be someone like Morgan Freeman and just be like, hey, am I... Am I like good? Am I, <laughs> am I an good incredible fucking actor? Like, I didn't mm. even know I was yeah. good, like, but I think I am, yeah. actually. Yeah. <laughs> Usually, voiceover narration is completed after a production wraps. But because the pace of the film was so reliant on Morgan Freeman's delivery, Darabont had Freeman record the narration first. Then they played the narration on set while acting out certain scenes so that they could time action and dialogue with his words. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So there's this one, there's one scene where this was really pivotal. There's a scene in the movie where Red kind of pays off a guard with some cigarettes mm-hmm. and gets all of the guys a sweet gig mm-hmm. of spreading tar the roof of the prison. And so they kind of don't have to do their normal stuff that day. And they're out in the sun. They're working. It's hot. And at the end of the day, they all get beer. Mm-hmm. And they're sitting there and they're drinking their beer and they feel free and it's a really beautiful moment. Right. And the narration in this scene is absolutely pivotal. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. We sat and drank with the sun on our shoulders and felt like free men. Hell, we could have been tarring the roof of one of our own houses. We were the lords of all creation. So they played the narration while the actors acted out this scene. And there's even a part where the actor Clancy Brown speaks and he waited for the pause in narration to speak. It was all choreographed around the narration. Yeah, That's amazing. However, there was a problem with the original recording's audio, meaning that it would have to be completely (sighs) re-recorded. Son of a gun. (laughs) Of course. This is bad. Audio problems. (laughs) (laughs) Who needs them? Freeman completed the first version in only 45 minutes. The re-record, however, took three weeks. Goodness gracious. Yeah. Because the first one... Yeah, you have to... Yeah, the first one, you just do it... Was off the cuff. Yeah. Uh, He just got in there. He relaxed. He did it. The second one, he had to match... Now, he had to match the movie 
Exactly. Because the movie was matched to his narration. Shit. So he had to match the way he did it the first time. Dang it. Oh. Was the audio con- just... Could you hear it and it was just not great quality it, or was it completely unsalvageable? He said there was a hum. Oh. They didn't realize that it wasn't good quality. But when they got to the point of the movie when they were sound mixing and everything, yeah. his sound oh. engineer said, oh. ah, I can't get rid of that hum. I can't. Oh. And so they had to redo it. Bummer, man. Oh, yeah. my God. Because he said he was like, I had a really, really good sound engineer. And I know that if it was possible, he would have done he it. Would, but, yeah. In the audio commentary, Frank Darabont praised Morgan Freeman for his patience throughout filming. In one scene, the actor is playing catch while talking to Andy, Tim Robbins. The shot took nine hours to get, meaning Freeman had to throw the ball for that entire period of time. According to Darabont, he never complained. Man, oh man. Yeah. It came in with Oof. ice, he said, but... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would definitely wear on the shoulder. Nine oh. hours of throwing a ball. Ow. How many extra innings is that to get to the nine-hour <laughs> game, huh? One storyline that added depth to the film was the story of a fellow inmate named Brooks. Possibly one of the most loved characters in the movie, Brooks Hatlin, was played by James Whitmore. While much of Shawshank focuses on the horrors that occur inside prison, Brooks's story highlights what can happen after a longtime inmate is released. This is something that it's really, really good that it's in this movie, and it's really yeah. interesting because, you know, you, you think of prison as something that is the worst of the worst, and in this mm-hmm. movie it is. Right. Yeah, My God. Crazy. Yeah, it's about yeah. as bad as it gets, right? Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, you know, when you are used to someone telling you when to get up, when you can go to the bathroom, what clothes you're wearing every single day, mm-hmm. when you eat lunch, they prepare lunch for you. You, This is your job. This is what you do. And you do that for 50 years. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the type of system that, that Brooks is in in this movie. It's the type of system that is not preparing people for the world outside. And so when he does leave, it's incredibly difficult for him because, mm-hmm. it, you know, that, and that is a huge problem. Yeah. And so having it in the movie teaches you something that you yeah. might not have thought about. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and this is a storyline that he completely added to the Shawshank Redemption that was not there. We, you know, it's in the book, Brooks dies in a home, mm-hmm. you know, and so we, you don't have that awful consequence of what actually happens to him in the movie, you know, because in the movie, that consequence is so much. It's so much harsher. It's so yeah. much, it's so much it's, more difficult to deal yeah. with. I hate having yes. to see it, but it's good that it's there. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Darabont had been a fan of Whitmore for a very long time and was absolutely thrilled to work with him. You'll notice that he got the and credit during the opening of the movie. Person one, person two, person three, person four, with this person yeah. Yeah. And, and this person, this right? Person. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. You yes. guys get it. It means yes. they're special. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. <laughs> Whitmore was a veteran TV and film actor that captured Darabont's attention in the 1954 film Them. Yeah. I really want to see this now. Apparently it's super good. <laughs> yeah. Whitmore carried a live crow around throughout filming as his character cared for the animal. Production had a woman from the ASPCA on set to ensure the animal was treated humanely. During one scene, Whitmore was supposed to feed a live waxworm to the crow, and the ASPCA representative objected. She told Darabont that not only could he only feed a dead worm to the crow, it had to be a worm that died of natural causes. (laughs) So, oh my lord. Frank Darabont was really frustrated <laughs> that this happened. And he said, apparently, he said, So, do we need to do an autopsy on the worm just to make sure there's no foul play? <laughs> That's the perfect way to respond. Because, how else? How do you, how do you know if you that bought it died the dead worm already? Natural causes. It's like you had to buy the worm from the shop. Try to keep it alive as long as possible, right? Yeah. And then after a time, and it, when it dies, that's when you can feed it to the crow. Uh, I on see. Set. After after you've given it a it's nice been four full weeks. Life. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I don't know how long they live, like. but yeah, Probably not long. Wow. Oh my goodness. When Frank Darabont wrote the character of Warden Samuel Norton, he was concerned that religious audiences would take offense to the character 
as he's the only overtly religious person in the film and is absolutely despicable. His intention was to call out people like the warden that hide behind doctrine to justify their horrific acts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The warden is the worst kind of person. Right. <laughs> yeah. And yep. he gives me Frollo vibes from the Hunchback of Notre <gasps> yes. Dame. Ah. He's very righteous, almighty, mm-hmm. you know. And yes, he knows all the Psalms. Yes. All the- <laughs> he can quote the Bible. Yep. So, so, so obviously he's a great person because he yes. read this book and yes. he knows right. that. You know, he, has, he has it up on his wall in a yep. nice embroidered picture frame yes yeah that he has and money then behind. he straight up murders people like <laughs> yeah yeah you know. guess he missed that commandments bit maybe uh, so. yeah. <laughs> in the audio commentary he mentions that he's gotten more positive feedback from religious viewers as many of them have interpreted shawshank to be a religious allegory it's interesting how many how many different ways people interpret yeah. the movie yeah As we mentioned before, The Warden is a conglomerate of several characters in the original novella. Bob Gunton brought a foreboding presence to the character and was Darabont's first choice to play the role. According to a Screen Rant article, Gunton almost didn't get the part because his head was shaved for another film. He wore a wig while filming until his hair grew out. (laughs) Apparently, this movie was generally shot in continuity. Mm-hmm. Uh, huh. pretty much and so in the early scenes when you first see the warden he's wearing a wig but as the movie goes on he's not wearing one anymore wow ah. yeah. totally sold yeah. yeah I didn't notice did not notice and also apparently one of the reasons why they said well we have to keep him as the warden is because mm-hmm. he's almost exactly the same height as Andy and they oh. needed a warden that was the same size as him for the suit Thing yes, for work. the shoes. Right. And the, yes. yes. Yeah. Mm. Perfect. The Shawshank Redemption is a perfect storm of great writing, directing, acting, music, and cinematography. Roger Deakins was the director of photography and crafted the perfect visual aesthetic to match the tone of the movie. Deakins is a veteran cinematographer that has painted the light for many major films. Like 1917 from 2019, and The Big Lebowski from 1998. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Some when, great movies there. Yeah, I saw Roger Deakins was the cinematographer, and I looked at Marcy and said, that's a famous one. Yeah. That's a like, famous person. <laughs> we recognize I've heard that, that name, name a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we are a film podcast. Yeah. We know about film. <laughs> recognize a name or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one or two. One of the most important elements to this film is the soundtrack, of course. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Newman composed a score that is both foreboding and deeply hopeful. The music as Andy crawls his way to freedom is, in our opinion, one of the most uplifting pieces of cinematic music ever written. This scene would be completely different without it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When I was in college, I had this grueling philosophy lecture that was three hours long. (laughs) It was the worst three hours of my week. I hated it very much. And at, finally, when we were at the end of the semester, after a thousand years of this philosophy class, he was giving his final lecture, and suddenly I started hearing this music. <laughs> I turned to the guy next to me, who I didn't know, and I was like, that's the Shawshank Redemption. He's playing the music from the Shawshank Redemption. He's playing the end of the Shawshank Why? And so he was like, he's giving his lecture and he had started playing music and was timing the end of his lecture (laughs) to the the scene where Andy is crawling through the tunnels of sewage (laughs) at the end of the Shawshank Redemption. And I'm like, dude. This is perfect. Yeah. This is perfect for this you're, awful You're like, class. that's how I feel right now. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, hey, we feel the same, dude. <laughs> that's amazing. Yes. But yeah. Of course, we all love Thomas Newman for mm-hmm. many things. Like, Wally and Finding Nemo are some of our favorite yeah. animated yeah. movies ever, so... All right, so now we got starring. As we mentioned before, this film stars Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman as the main characters. But we also have Bob Gunton as Warden Norton. Bob was Dr. Walcott in Patch Adams. 
Clancy Brown was Captain Hadley. Clancy is a fantastic voice actor, and you may know him as Mr. Krabs in SpongeBob. I was like, what do you mean that's Clancy Brown? Wait a second. That's not the Clancy Brown, right? (laughs) (laughs) I was stoked, so excited. He's also the voice of that cat in Adventure Time that has an approximate knowledge of many things. (laughs) That's also Clancy Brown. I know exactly where you might be. (laughs) Uh, We didn't really talk about it, and we're just going to mention it here, but there's actually a popular fan theory that Andy Dufresne was actually guilty of the double homicide and that Captain Hadley was not a bad guy. Evidence for this theory is seen when Hadley protects Andy from the sisters and he beats up Boggs. Captain, Yeah, Captain Hadley is essentially the second in command at Shawshank. Mm-hmm. And the first night that Andy's there, he beats a man to death. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so you get an idea right away that he kind of doesn't care about anybody. Yeah. Uh, He just likes to beat people up. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of brutality. And this violence continues throughout the movie. Yes. And there is a character that we'll talk about in a minute that has been assaulting Andy. Assaulting is the nicest word I can use. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when that character really hurts Andy and puts him in the infirmary for a month, Mm -hmm. Captain Hadley comes and, and beats this guy. Yes. So badly that he will never walk again. Mm-hmm. And this does not mean Hadley is a good person. I no. this, I don't believe yeah. this fan theory at all. I do not Same. either. <laughs> because I'm sorry, you're not a good dude if you beat people to death. No. I'm sorry, you're no. not. Like, <laughs> I, that's it. That's all there is to it. I mean, yes. he protects Andy because Andy can give him something. Yes. That, right. that is why. Exactly. It is nothing to do with yep. him liking Andy. He, he needs Andy, therefore he will protect Andy. Yeah. <laughs> So next we have Mark Ralston as Boggs Diamond. Boggs is the leader of this, the sisters, and he is the main attacker and sexual assaulter to Andy. Darabont actually saw Mark in the movie Aliens and wanted him for this film. Yeah. Next we have Gil Bellows as Tommy. Tommy's character helps to show Andy how greedy and heartless the warden is. The warden has him shot by Hadley on purpose in order to keep Tommy from testifying on behalf of Andy. And Gil is also well known as Billy Thomas in Ally McBeal. Yay. All right. Yeah. Dude, Tommy, I I cannot handle that. That is so sad. And this is another one of those things where I think... Because I believe Captain Hadley is the one that shoots him. Mm-hmm. Yes. And this is the one of those another one of those scenes where people see that and they think, oh, Captain Hadley does have a heart and soul because you can tell he kind of yeah. feels bad about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you can see that he's not a hundred percent. Yeah. But but he... he did it though. Yeah. 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 The warden would have gotten another guard to do it. Yeah. If he if he mm-hmm. said no or whatever. Yeah. But he's he, he still also did had it. something to gain. From yes. right. killing Tom. Right, because they needed Andy to stay for the yeah. scams they were running. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this character, when we, you know he tells the story that he was talking to another person who basically admitted to committing the crime that Andy is accused for. Yeah. Yes. Disproves, again, that same exact fan theory. Right. Because part of that theory is that Andy actually did commit this crime, mm-hmm. but literally there's another person admitting to it. Yeah. Yeah. That was a thing. People were saying things like, oh, well, I mean, the story is told through Red's perspective, and he's a, a not a trustworthy. An unreliable source, yeah. yes. He, yeah. And for example, I believe what happens to Tommy gets told by Red, but it's really just hearsay because he, Red didn't see what happened. He just heard what happened, mm-hmm. essentially. He hears the gunshot. So, yeah. That's one of the theories yeah. about yeah. it. You know, they're like, oh, maybe Tommy was really running or, mm-hmm. you know, or something else. But right. I, I just, uh, I, don't... I don't believe it. Next, we have William Sadler as Haywood. William is known also to be in Tales of the Crypt, which is what prompted Darabont to choose him for this movie. Uh-oh. Yeah. I Haywood's an interesting character. Yeah, I like He becomes Haywood. more of a character as the movie goes on. Yeah, you see more of him. Yeah, and he has a little bit of a, a comic edge to him. Picks up a piece of poop thinking it's rock, <laughs> or, you know. And... 
And lastly, we have James Whitmore as Brooks Hatlin. All right. Those of you who follow us on our Twitter account at Black Case Diary. Thank you. Thank you. you do. Yes. Thank <laughs> First you of so all, much. thank you for following. <laughs> but we asked our followers out there to give us some thoughts on this movie because we know how much people love this movie. And we thought we'd shout out some some interesting thoughts here. The first one comes from Nathan Drake at Nathan J. Drake 82. This is my favorite film of all time. The only film I could watch over and over again. There are movies that I love. I love mm-hmm. them. Yeah. But I'm not going to watch them over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. so being able to watch a movie over and over and over again it really says it a says lot. It says a lot. Mm-hmm. You all know this. I love Jurassic Park. Yeah. But even I think I would get burnt out. Mm-hmm. Like, it would be tough to watch a movie over and over. Yeah. yeah. Next is Least Haunted Podcast <laughs> at Least Haunted. After nearly 36 years on this crazy planet, there are only two things that can still make me cry. One is a secret, and I'm taking it to my grave. The other is Brooks was here. Oh my god, yeah. And just the addition of So Was Red. Yeah, yeah. I love That's that. That's pretty great, too. Yeah. As, as heart-wrenching as it is, the whole thing about Red, it, it's an incredible coincidence that he ends up in the same room. Yeah. But I'm mm-hmm. kind of, it really makes me glad that somebody who knew Brooks well mm-hmm. saw that. It also really shows the monotony of it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. even after they're out of prison. Right. There's still a monotony to it. They all live in the same place still. Yeah. They all work at the same grocer, you know? Yeah. It's, it's like they have that. It's, you know, it never really goes away. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it also speaks to the fact that not many get out. Yeah. You know, I mean, you only, throughout this movie, you only really see two get out. Mm -hmm. Because like Brooks mentions that when I was a kid, I saw a car once and then now he got out of prison and they're everywhere. Yeah. So for him, it's like a huge, huge change. The world he knew when he left, when he went to prison is gone. Yeah. Yeah. And he has to adapt to a whole new world. And this system that he's in, or that he was in at least, was not focused on rehabilitation. It was not mm-hmm. focused on him reentering society. Yeah. None of that. There were any of those programs or anything mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah. yeah. Right. And, and that relates to that whole speech that Red gives to the, you know, that desk of people mm-hmm. about his parole, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how. They ask, do you feel rehabilitated? And Rehabilitated? It's just a bullshit word. So you go on and stamp your form, Sonny, and stop wasting my time. Because I tell you the truth, I don't give a shit. Next is our good friend J.D. Gravit, at J.D. Gravit. It's an incredible movie and one of the best adaptations ever made. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No denying. Yep. 100%. Yeah. I know that Stephen King was happy with Stand By Me. Mm-hmm. But he was also incredibly happy with The Shawshank Redemption. Yes, he was. Yeah. Yeah. Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman both said it was one of the best screen, one of the best or and or the best screenplay they had ever, yeah. ever read. I believe it. Mm-hmm. Next is one from Josh at J-A-F-Y-T-C-Z-Y-K. Classic. (laughs) Incredibly classic. Yes, this is a classic movie Mm -hmm. for sure. (laughs) Yes. This is a, you know, you come home from school and you flip on AMC or something and it's just on TV. Just on. Mm -hmm. Next is from Strange Air Podcast at Strange Air Podcast. Desert Island movie. If it's on and I stumble across it, I watch until the end. We actually quote it in our podcast. Episode three, if you want to go find it. All right, episode three of Stranger Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is something that's really interesting. The concept of just coming home from work, school, whatever, flipping on the TV and just watching what is already on Mm -hmm. is what we used to do. And so I totally get it with the Shawshank. You see that it's on. Oh, I've seen this movie a million times. I'm caught up. It's comforting. Mm -hmm. I know what's going to happen. Watch the rest of it. And on top of that being the their choice for their Desert Island movie. Yeah. So, you know, the the classic question, if you could bring one movie to your Desert Island, if yeah. you're stranded, yeah. what would be what that would one movie? Be? Yeah. That's pretty high praise. 
The last one we have here is from Gidget Von LaRue. At, of course, Gidget Von LaRue. Nice. They said, perfection. 10 out of 10. <laughs> that, I mean, I would agree with that. Yeah. I think they, they said that well. You can't be more clear. Thank you all who who tweeted at us. We Thank appreciate it. Thank you so it. much for doing yeah. that. We really appreciate it. All right. So talking about how we've all received it and all of our peers have received it, let's talk about its awards and reception after it came out. Oh, boy. Yeah. This, this is a little rougher. <laughs> you know, not quite as glowing reviews. Unfortunately, Shawshank was not appreciated immediately. To illustrate this, in one 1994 review by David Hiltbrandt from People magazine, he said, Shawshank runs nearly two and a half hours and sometimes gives audiences the sense of doing a 20-year stretch. Ultimately, the rewards aren't commensurate with the outlay of time. The movie's message about the triumph of the human spirit and its exhortation to get busy living or get busy dying seem rather paltry payoffs. One of the most iconic wow. quotes in movie history yeah. was a paltry payoff. Yep. <laughs> Two and a half a hour movie. Paltry payoff. <laughs> okay. Ooh. I bet a couple years later he was eating those words. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Yeah. I just think it's funny because people were really hung up on that two and a half hour thing. Yeah. There was one article I read where they said it was a prison sentence in itself. Just <laughs> Jeez. To, to ha- be held there in a movie theater for two oh and a half hours. Oh, my gosh. I know. I mean, that's kind of what this guy said, too. Mm-hmm. It was nominated, though, for seven Oscars, but sadly did not win one. Man, oh man. But it was nominated. Yes. And, and that means that people voted for it. Yes. Well, it would have won the Bosker. So. That's true. Oh, sure. It definitely yeah, would have won the, the Bosker. The Bosker is the Black Case Diary is Oscar. Yes, it is. We're going to have to have a Bosker award ceremony. It did actually win the best foreign film at the awards of the Japanese Academy. Yes. All right. Woo-hoo. Somebody thought it was good. Yeah. Man, imagine a Shawshank Redemption anime. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So here are some fun facts about the movie. Sometimes we just have random fun things that we say. Yeah. We don't know where else to put them, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You might remember, back at the beginning of this episode a thousand years ago, you might remember that Frank Darabont paid Stephen King $5,000 for the rights to the story. However, King never cashed the check. Years after the film was released, King sent back the $5,000 unendorsed check to Darabont with a note that said, in case you ever need bail money, love, Steve. Wow. Look at that. That is so cute. (laughs) I love it. I I like to think that he didn't cash it by accident. And was just flipping through his stuff one day. (laughs) And was like, oops. You know, this would be cute. I'll just send it back. Yeah. I don't need this money anymore. <laughs> especially especially since this is one of the movies that he liked. Yeah. 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 So I think he, if yeah. he hated the movie, he would have been like, I'm cashed. cashing it. All right. Yeah. Not even telling him I'm going to cash it. He's yeah. going to lose five grand. <laughs> I was just going to say, that he just looks at his account and is like, what? <laughs> that was years ago. Morgan Freeman's son actually appears in the movie. He is the mugshot of Young Red and also shows up as an extra in the prison yard. That's so cool. Isn't that cute? In 2018, Hulu premiered the horror anthology show Castle Rock, a series based in the Stephen King universe. So good. Yeah. Check it out. The entire first season is set in Shawshank Prison. There are several references to the movie in the first episode, including the song that Annie Dufresne played in the record player over the speakers for the prisoners. And Tim Robbins actually even plays a character, Pop Merrill, in season two of Castle Rock. A nod to the film may also be felt because the main title of Castle Rock and the score for the first two episodes were composed by Thomas Newman. Snap. Yeah. That is quite the nice tie-in. Yeah, so there's a lot of Shawshank Easter eggs and just plot things. They even talk about the warden. Yeah, they do. In the first episode Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And if you want a little taste of that show... When you yeah. become a patron and go listen to our little Yeah, we did it. My first impressions. Yeah. We watched the first episode with Adam, who's not a horror fan, and yeah. we got his first impression. We need to watch episode two. <laughs> All right, is there anything else you want to say about the movie before I conclude? I said it at the beginning and I say it again. 
it's no wonder that this movie comes up in the discussion for best film of all time. Mm-hmm. It's an incredibly memorable film that has been stuck in the minds of so many people, whether they're big fans of film like us or a casual moviegoer, it's up yeah. there. Yeah. And it has influenced so much other media yeah. in recent years, in the years that came after it. One of my favorite scenes from the a little Wes Anderson film <laughs> is is modeled after the yeah. the scene with the poster yes. and the whole guys. It, yes, it's so so many delightful things get used it as reference. Yeah. It's, when I first watched this movie, I, I was a kid. I was like 12 years old. And I will never forget when he throws the rock <laughs> at the poster yes. and it rips through. Mm-hmm. That is the most <laughs> I freaked out. That was the most exciting thing ever. I yeah. was so excited. It was like, because I didn't know. I didn't know what yeah. he did. No. And just, you know, be, I, I didn't even really think about it, honestly, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, they led you to believe that he pro- he might have hung himself. Yes. Because yeah. he had the rope. Everyone was worried about him. Yes. He wasn't answering in the morning when everybody mm-hmm. steps out of the cell. Yes. I just, oh, because he gets angry. He's like, where is he? And he throws it, and it just yeah. goes, oh, my God. <laughs> I, I just, oh, it was so cool. Yeah. It's such yeah. a cool what a reveal. Yeah, it's oh, a great yes. moment. Oh my <laughs> gosh, cuz you never you, oh, and all of the things, all of the little things that he does when the warden comes in and he grabs his bible and yes. he almost opens it. Yes, almost. You know, and Andy plays it so cool. Yep. Even though the whole time his little pickaxe <laughs> that he's been using yeah, his rock is rock hammer. Yeah, is in the bible and he the warden almost takes the bible with him. Yeah. He turns around and he goes, "Oh, I almost forgot." Here's your Bible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Salvation does lie within. Yes. <laughs> I love it. There's yes. so many good things. And oh. one of my favorite bits is just, you know, he, he tells Red about his whole scheme. And he's like, oh, he made up a person. He's putting all this money into a fake account. If they yeah. follow the trail, it will lead mm-hmm. to nobody. That kind of thing. And then when he per- he's like... I am that person. When he gets yeah. out and he's like, signature matches hundred percent. Everything's perfect. The money yeah. is his. I'm like, dude, what a scheme he played to everybody. Yes, it's very great. I oh my gosh, it's honestly like the movie has so many beautiful messages in it, and then it's just there's this wonderful payoff at the end, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, it's really food for the soul. Because it's like, if you do it, you stick around for this long run time, and there are a lot of really troubling, upsetting things that happen, mm-hmm. and it brings you through the whole range of emotion. Sometimes mm-hmm. you're scared for the characters. Sometimes you're really sad. You know, you feel all of mm-hmm. it. And at the end, it's just so triumphant, and it's just... Yeah. Oh my gosh, you know, it just feels so yeah. good. Yep. Yeah. The Shawshank Redemption is a cinematic journey. It's two and a half hours of a carefully crafted tale that reminds audiences of the endurance of the human spirit. It's a movie that takes its time, but wastes none of it. Shawshank is a story about hope and friendship, set on a backdrop of a seemingly hopeless situation. This is a movie with a history as fascinating as the story itself. It started as a lower budget flop and was deemed a financial failure. But just like geology, filmmaking is the study of pressure and time. Eventually, the Shawshank Redemption lived up to its name, and this prison movie that couldn't find an audience is now thought to be one of the greatest films ever made. Amen. That's it. I mean, there it is. Yeah. Well, okay. I guess it's another case closed. <laughs> Woo! Ooh, yes. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Yes. Before we go, thank you. we'd like to thank our patrons, Joel, John, Jacob, Jacqueline, JD, Anthony, Shelly, Linda, Bob, Carlos, and Jaren. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. And if you're interested in joining our Patreon, you can join for as little as a dollar a month. Yeah. We've got exclusive episodes. Well, we've got extended episodes, some exclusive episodes. We've got That's some right. exclusive video content on yes. there. Absolutely. Ask our patrons. They'll tell you how great that some is. Some ridiculous <laughs> stuff. Marcy and I like to do sketches. We love it. We like to do sketches that go along with our episodes. 
<laughs> so there will be one for the Shawshank Redemption. I'm already thinking yeah. about it. Is Marcy going to crawl through a pipe? Thoughts, sir. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see what Marcy does. Marcy always stars Maybe. in them. I tell her what to do. <laughs> She's a really big champ about it. I just, I tell her what to do. She does and it. I do it. Yep. And that's you it. Know, yeah. moderately okay. And it turns out funny. <laughs> yeah. It's usually, we think, we think we're hilarious. Yes. Obviously, that's totally up for debate. Yeah. But I mean, you can let us know. Yeah. Just become, become a, patron. a patron. And then you'll find out. Yeah. That's right. I was in one of them once. Yeah. One time. One time. You know what, Adam? We'll ha- we'll include you in another one. Yes. Okay. You can now buy us a popcorn at buymeacoffee.com slash Diaries. And we also have, we're also starting an Etsy store. We have one product up right now. Yeah. It's a shirt, and we're going to have more on the way. So if you want to check that out, too. We'll find a way to link to yeah, it. Yeah, we will link you, to it. You will be able to find it. It'll be on our website. Yes. And also, thank you to all that support us, whether it be through listening, telling a friend, or donating. Yes. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Everything helps. Just the fact that you're listening to my voice right now, it means everything to us. Thank you so much. All right. Well, see you later, everybody. Bye. Bye. Later. I guess it comes down to a simple choice, really. Get busy living, or get busy dying.